This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Wesley tries smack-talking. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that might be some sort of test. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we've gotten back to Star Trek after our little, little movie hiatus, and now we have the test episode that mm-hmm. nothing else happens in. You probably don't remember that... Actually, I remember both of these things as episodes, but I didn't remember them being in the same episode because they have nothing to do with one another. <laughs> we have an A plot and a B plot that could also be reversed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they are given kind of equal time, but for no reason, because one has some things happening and one has nothing happening. Indeed. <laughs> well, I guess they're both trying to be character studies after a fashion. Mm, not well, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a very different sort of focuses and, you know, reasons. <laughs> yeah. So this is the episode called Coming of Age, um, where Wesley takes a test. It's a Wesley episode. It's one of the Wesley episodes. Um, he's less insufferable. It's one of the better Wesley episodes of the early seasons. Indeed. Uh, largely because he's just doing school stuff like a normal teenager. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, you know, being a teenager, you know, it's like, okay, it's time to take uh, take the uh, Starfleet equivalent of the ASVAB or SATs here. So uh, I guess I'm going to uh, do that and, you know, interact with the other people doing that. Hooray! <laughs> this episode was written by Sandy Fries, and this is the only full episode that he's written. Uh, but he was the story editor on episodes like Angel 1 and Too Short a Season. Uh, he mm-hmm. also wrote for a number of Star Trek video games, uh, The Borg, Secrets of Vulcan Fury... Starfleet Academy, a lot of those things. He also worked on Quantum Leap, the Smurfs, the Smurfs, Smurfs, <laughs> the Smurfs, yeah, uh, Thundercats, Tom and Jerry Kids Show, uh, uh, Eek the Cat, and and of course the most outrageous option, Gem. <laughs> gem and the holograms, or just Gem? Just Gem. <laughs> but but it, I guess the the holograms is uh, everyone just assumes that at this point. Now, there are way too many guest stars, so I'm going to try to go through these quick, and uh, not everyone's getting a full rundown, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Ward Costello is playing Admiral Gregory Quinn. He's got his start on Broadway and Off-Broadway and some TV and film stuff. He was in the film Terror from the Year 5000. In, back in the 50s. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been in the mood to see more uh, random uh, 50s sci-fi. Maybe I'll add that to the list. <laughs> And then in the 70s, he was on a soap opera called The Edge of Night. Uh, he did a lot of smaller TV guest roles in the 80s, you know, including this, and mm-hmm. uh, had supporting roles in films like Return from Witch Mountain, which for some reason the Witch Mountain films were like my favorite things as a child. Hmm. I don't really remember them at all at this point. It's aliens. It's good? aliens from a mountain who have telekinetic powers. Yeah, excellent. Maybe maybe we should add that to the list as we well. Could. It's 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 that weird, really old live action Disney stuff. Hmm. Yeah, which has it's, it's like its own genre, really. Mm-hmm. He was also in Golden Girl, not the Golden Girls, just Golden Girl, <laughs> the off brand Golden Girls. <laughs> That's before they all moved in together. 
<laughs> just one of them and you know he was there too <laughs> i also have robert shiken i'm not gonna be able to pronounce his last name well he's playing dexter remick he did stage stuff in the 70s moved to tv in the early 80s had a few mini series as well as guest spots on things like new heart and la law he was in a mini series called The Nut- Nutcracker, Money, Madness, and Murder, which I don't know anything <laughs> about, but I like to imagine that it is a dark, gritty Nutcracker adaptation. Yes, uh, with like gangsters and uh, you know lots of uh, shooting shootouts and things like that. Yeah, gangster mice. The Rat yes. King is just a that's just the mob <laughs> boss who's got the nickname. It's like, oh, you got to see the Rat King, and it's some weird, weird like Brooklyn dude. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he has, like, one of those rat tail hairstyles, and that's, like, why they call him the Rat King. Yeah. Yes. And then in the 90s, he transitioned into writing, so stopped doing much acting stuff. But it probably has a decent number of writing credits. He might pop up somewhere. Yes, uh, such as uh, the Andromeda Strain, the TV series. Uh- <laughs> we have John Putsch. He's playing Murdoch. He got his start acting as a uh, Boy Scout in an episode of All the Family. Thought that was interesting. Hmm. He has guest appearances in Family Ties and Home Improvement. He's just been around the sitcom circuit. He's had several film roles, including Jaws 3D, widely considered Ooh. to be the worst movie ever made ever. <laughs> wow, that's actually a, a, a pretty uh, you know intense uh, sort of uh, statement there, really, <laughs> given what's out there. Yep. But uh, he's also going to show up several more times in Star Trek. Not playing the same character, but playing characters that use the same makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, specifically, Ensign Menden. Yep. Yes. <laughs> because just for some reason, they just, I don't know, I guess it's an easy way to save on makeup. It's like, all these guys look the same. Yeah, so uh, just plop the th- same thing on the same actor, and it's fine. As yeah. opposed to, you know, just finding a slightly different actor and making the makeup sort of just work for it, you know? <laughs> Then we've got Stephen Gregory, who's playing Jake Kirkland. He started acting in his teens, got into, like, comedy stuff. Had some, like, weird film roles in that weird film time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that we, you know, that time when everyone was in weird teen comedies that didn't make any sense. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, The Heavenly Kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he also had guest roles on Saint Elsewhere, which, you know, everything is part of Saint Elsewhere. So, you know. Including Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, 21 Jump Street. Hmm. He was uh, Hoagley Delaplante in that. I don't know if I... Yeah. <laughs> Just because there's a lot of freaking guest characters in this, here's a very quick rundown of some other people. Robert mm-hmm. Ito is playing Chang. He's the head of testing at the Academy thing. Tasha Valentina is playing Tishank... Tishanki? Tishan... Tishanik. Tishanik, the Vulcan. I believe it's Tasia Valeneza, who's playing Tishanik. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Tishanik. Reading through these too fast. <laughs> <laughs> and SD Chandler is playing Oliana, who's just, just a flirty girl. Flirty earth girl. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the rest of our uh, TNG cl- uh, uh, cast are uh, playing their, their normal roles as guest stars. I mean, I what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is the Wesley show. <laughs> So, okay, that's it. There's too many guest stars. That's the rundown. That'd be good. Yes, Everyone's uh, good. Yeah, and uh, they have like one and a half extra sets, and that's it. So, <laughs> yeah. 
So we find Wesley chasing down his friend Jake in a corridor. Jake just failed out of the first wave of Starfleet Academy testing and is taking it very hard. Wesley, however, is being sent down to the planet Rivala with three other finalists who are going to be tested so that one of them can be admitted into the Academy. This is a very weird selection process. Yes, it's like, okay, so maybe each planet has like a number of possible slots that are offered up for uh, you know entrance into Starfleet. You know, okay, so that maybe makes sense. So is like everyone just kind of going to this planet because there's a free slot open? Yeah, maybe. This is the yeah. one <laughs> slot in the quadrant and the three people have shown up to try to fill it. Maybe like other planets are like, this is an Andorian planet here. Uh, so, you know, we only allow these slots for Andorians. Sorry, guys. Uh, go somewhere else. Like, here's a colony over yonder that has a free slot. Go fight over it. This this whole only one can be admitted into whatever, whatever is a weird, I don't know. These these It just plays into our ultra-competitive culture that we don't question these things. Yes. <laughs> Assuming all three of them were completely evenly matched in whatever criteria, one of them is going to win just through random chance, and that's your selection process. Yep. <laughs> we want the best of the best, and then randomly selected subsets from that. Yes. Also, Picard's looking forward to meeting his old friend, Admiral Quinn, who's also on the planet and has been asked to be taken on board. Ah, the mighty Quinn. <laughs> as soon as Wesley's gone, Quinn arrives with the commander, Remick, who's just an unpleasant man. That's his entire character. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be up in everyone's faces all the time. Gwen demands to see Picard alone, where he explains that Remick is with the Inspector General's office. He's there to investigate the Enterprise for reasons he is not willing to divulge, but he orders them to have full cooperation, and he's an admiral, so there you are. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully this is not uh, a trend of uh, sketchy admirals going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's there's already a trend of sketchy admirals. Yeah. He's just continuing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Wesley meets the other candidates. There's Oleana, who is annoying and flirty with Wesley. And um, I did some quick calculations just because I thought I, I wanted to see how weird and creepy this was. At the time, Will Wheaton was just around 15 years old, same age as Wesley. Um, mm -hmm. The actress who's playing Oleana is 21. So it is as creepy as it looks. Oh, dear. Yeah. Hmm. Do not want... And they also talk about how Wesley is testing in early. Mm -hmm. So cannot, even in the Star Trek universe, it's creepy. Yes. <laughs> it's like, so people uh, usually enter Starfleet, I guess, you know, 18 to early 20s. And, you know, he's doing it, you know, a few years early. And stop flirting with him, lady. Come on. And then Tishonic, who is here and is a Vulcan. That's, yes. And that's about it. That's <laughs> and Murdoch, who's apparently famous, but not in Starfleet. Yes, uh, he's uh, come up with some cool thing, and everyone knows him for it, but, you know, we're not really going to explain what it is, just that there's a cool thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a neat thing. He's some sort of genius or some such. Yeah. They're joined by Chang, who is the administrating testing officer. You know, four students enter, only one will leave. Yes. <laughs> he seems to have an overall pretty easy job, honestly. He really does, yeah. Though who knows how much behind-the-scenes stuff goes into this stupid thing. Yes. <laughs> There's some stuff later that's... Uh... So on the ship, Remick is just hanging around, looking over everyone's shoulders, making them nervous. Riker gets annoyed and demands some answers from Picard, but he doesn't have any. Remick demands Riker's time, and he's dismissed in a very satisfying way. Yes. <laughs> it's like, we need to talk now. It's like, later, when my duties permit. 
sir. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm a, a, a commander here and, uh, you know, you're just a lieutenant commander. So screw off, man. Bye. <laughs> uh, back at the tests, Wesley and Murdoch quickly catch on to a trick question that annoys everyone. And uh, there's more weird flirting and stuff. Is this the antimatter question? Yes, which they they talk about like what is the intermix ratio of matter to antimatter? I'm like, well, it's always one to one. Trick question. Ha ha. Yes. But they spend so much time in engineering in the other in this and all the other shows talking about calculating intermix ratios. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe it's the uh, we need to figure out how much antimatter we actually have in order to supply it with the normal matter of the uh, correct quantity. Otherwise, we're just putting you know too much or too little uh, you know hydrogen or whatever in there. Uh, and so it's maybe it's all about the calculating of you know we don't have a direct measurement of this thing despite all our sci-fi gadgetry. <laughs> maybe that. I yeah, guess. maybe they just need to calculate how much <laughs> antimatter they have because they can't scan for it. <laughs> antimatter is like special in Star Trek. It's pretty weird. So later, Remick tracks down Riker, who he wants to go over log discrepancies from Captain Picard. Riker's annoyed that he's accusing the captain of something. But Remick's pretty unperturbed and just keeps questioning. He also bothers Geordi in engineering about Picard losing control of the ship for, through the Traveler and, you know, any multitude of other times. He <laughs> bothers Troy about Picard's being mind-controlled by a Ferengi. You know, there's, there's a yeah, whole yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that technically counts as a mental lapse, but it really, you know, wasn't like, you know, has a, 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 you know, an internal a mental disparity going on here. This is alien device gonna alien it's it, it happens on in the you know, starfleet here come on guy well they could have done something kind of interesting with this because um of course as viewers of the show watching all this happen on this ship this stuff happens at least once a week it's pretty yeah. normal <laughs> like but we actually don't really know how normal it is in the rest <laughs> of the fleet like is everyone else just doing very boring mundane star mapping and scanning jobs and the enterprise is getting infested by alien mind parasites every other day <laughs> that would be a little weird uh though i uh I, I do appreciate that uh, uh lower decks kind of uses that as a giant sort of excuse to have all sorts of nonsense happen on the uh, cerritos yeah so <laughs> i mean you've got like, two ways to look at it either this is only this only happens on the enterprise and a select few other ships that are you know pushing the edge boundaries of space or mm-hmm. this is just your normal day to day in Starfleet. Yes, <laughs> like if you're on a uh, you know uh, just a cargo transport, things are fine. You know, you know, unless you know for some reason you realize you're being watched or something like that. <laughs> but if you're on, you're on a Federation ship, weird stuff's going to come at you, and it's going to be all mm-hmm. the time. It's like they're cursed. In an empty holodeck, Worf finds Wesley just sort of hanging out that's it he's worried about the academy psychological tests where they're pitted against their greatest fear which they know for some reason Worf tells him this just part of life even he has to constantly face the fear of relying on other people because he doesn't like doing that but he's in a job where he has to and someone needs to do it just it's just it's just that wesley's gonna be fine just face your fear like a warrior oh uh, if that's an alt i guess yep, that's i it. yeah going to take your advice i suppose <laughs> 
Now, we don't really find out what uh, Worf faced, but it was apparently very scary. So I'm going to think that uh, given his reliance on uh, other people sort of thing, it was being in a sedan chair and having some uh, random people just carry him around a room. Oh, uh, Remick is still hanging around while they do normal bridge stuff uh, when there's an unauthorized entry into the shuttle bay. It's Jake, the kid from earlier, who's upset. He steals the shuttle and announces his intention to just go join a freighter in shame. Um, he immediately does something wrong and shuts down the shuttle's engines, sending it hurtling towards the planet. Uh, the engines need a minute to restart, but it's going to crash before that. So, And he's out of range of the tractor and transporter, which I'm not sure how, because they did transport people to and from the planet, and he's closer to them than the planet, but, you know. Maybe he's suddenly on the far side. I, I don't know. <laughs> But how can they see him? I don't know. I want to know how these ships work that someone can just accidentally turn the engines off while they're trying to steer. <laughs> well, maybe they were uh, trying to institute a, a new plan to discourage people from stealing shuttles. And uh, no one told Jake that, you know, after so much uh, time of unauthorized access, it'll just shut down randomly. <laughs> No other options, Picard talks Jake through restarting the engines. He needs to point the nose of the shuttle straight towards the planet and get up enough speed to start the engines, then quickly pull back and bounce off the atmosphere, which works and everyone cheers, including Remick, even though a minute ago he's like, how, how could you let a kid steal a ship? Oh, you're just going to let him crash land into the planet? Oh my god, what's going on? <laughs> now, it turns out that Picard has been secretly a, uh, a, a piloting expert this whole time, and uh, that will actually kind of come up later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Remick's excited that everyone gets that the kid gets saved, but then he's just like immediately back to remembering he's supposed to be a dick. <laughs> like, oh, apparently there's uh, some uh, nefarious uh, sort of uh, pretending going on here. We're on mm -hmm. to you, Remick. You you might actually be like a decent person here, maybe. <laughs> so back on the testing planet. Uh, Wesley and Murdoch are on break, just talking, when a large man bumps into Wesley. Wesley apologizes, which angers the man. It's just not going well. It's escalating. And then Wesley suddenly noticed that he has webbed fingers and insults him. And this makes him super happy, and he leaves, because Wesley <laughs> saw that the man was a Zaldean because of the webbed fingers. And they consider courtesy to be a phony social behavior and are infuriated by it. Chang's pleased because this was also a test. Ha-ha! Ha-ha! <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about that, Mordok? I think this is interesting because there's, there's like three possibilities here. One, this dude is just always getting into it with people because why in the world, how could he work in a human anything? If he's just going to behave like this and not adjust <laughs> to the dominant culture of the work environment, like that's a little that's a little crummy to say that you always have to do that. But if he's the only dude who's going to interact with people this way, there's there's probably needs to be some adjustment for the workplace. Yes, uh, it's like you know, okay, so maybe uh, if he's just right out that you're not going to have any sort of uh, pleasantries uh, given to him, and otherwise he'll explode. Just you know. Do your best not to interact with him at all. Yeah, maybe everyone else has learned this and they're all being nice and accommodating. That could be fun. Or he has to control it all the time and they yes. let him do this for the test so that he can vent. <laughs> it's time for you to vent. All right. <laughs> or everyone's like just good at getting along with this guy except for the newbies he just did accidentally bump into someone and chang shows up later and goes like haha it was a test yes yeah, so we're not you know incompetent in terms of having our personnel you know interact with new people you know in a sane fashion here 
you know. Mm-hmm. I feel <laughs> like his test. entire job in this thing is to just let the students randomly do stuff and then pop up behind them. He's like, ha ha, that was a test. <laughs> well, that would maybe make his job easy. Mm-hmm. Er. <laughs> so we go back to the observation lounge where Remick continues questioning. Um, he asks Data to find something wrong with Picard and Data tells him that it doesn't exist so he can't find it. And for some reason, in a scene that is just way too smoothly edited to be in this episode, <laughs> Remick seamlessly transitions between questioning every ranking officer with match cuts that make it seem like it's one seamless thing the entire way through. Yes, uh, I, I am surprised that this is uh, in here, in this particular episode, in this era of Star Trek, but it's also something that... They do very well later as well at various mm. forms. So maybe it's like one of those things that they're just really good at for some reason. Yeah, it's just the cinematographer and the editor having yeah. fun. It's yeah. just interesting. <laughs> like, did they just like did they just have an extra day and they're like, oh, let's try something. Yeah. <laughs> but no one on the ship has a single negative word to say about Picard, which infuriates Remick something fierce. Hmm. Like, you know, no one could love their captain this much. So Picard's finally fed up with this and he demands some answers from Quinn. He tells him to be patient because this is all necessary and don't worry about it. It's fine. That's that's it. I mean, it's not very satisfying. <laughs> oh, uh, okay, uh, Admiral, but, yeah. you know, this is just, it's getting ridiculous here. Come on. <laughs> Meanwhile, Wesley helps Murdoch out on a test question, which uh, lets him beat Wesley's time. Murdoch feels very bad about this, but Shang reminds him that everything is a test. Not just the test. Life is a test. How you interact with the test is a test. The fact that you're all staring at me like I'm making stuff up is a test. Ha ha! Ha ha! And you know, if be, being nice to your formal, uh, your 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 fellow cadet uh, potential cadets here, you know, that's also a test. And uh, we are judging you on how nice you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, <Okay. laughs> you're going to have a fear factor thing soon, so you know, get ready yes. for that. Yep. Come on, don't be anxious about all of this. Quinn finally tells Picard what's going on. Reddick reports that despite his best effort, he's found nothing wrong on the ship. So now Quinn knows that he can trust Picard because he believes there's something wrong with the Federation and he needs to find the people he can trust. So he wants to promote Picard to make him the head of Starfleet Academy. Picard needs to think about this because uh, that's a big change. Yes. It's like, I just started this new TV series. You know, if I'm going to leave right now, does the TV series start go with me or does it stay with the ship? Come on. It's like, but I'm under a standard three-year contract. Uh. <laughs> so this either means that I, I, I say yes and something happens to the Academy that prevents me from going there or we have to like fire everyone else. So Wesley on the planet is waiting for the final test that they've been building up. Murdoch exits his and is visibly shaking. So Wesley's kind of understandably apprehensive. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, Mordok's uh, test was something uh, involving, uh, you know, trying to solve that one problem that he did very well on, but there was no one there to help him with it. <laughs> so Wesley gets sat down in an empty room to wait for the test to begin. When there's an explosion outside, Wesley investigates to find a lab in ruins. One man's trapped under rubble and another is just standing in a corner going, no, 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 I can't move. Well, uh, I guess it's clear who actually needs help here. So mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and uh, save the guy under the rubble, Wesley. Well, the other guy just stands there. Hmm. Uh, Wesley frees the first man and begins to drag him out. He yells to the other guy to just c- come out because he can walk fine. And the lab is about to close itself off and explode. Um, mm-hmm. 
This sounds really fast-paced, but it's not. Wesley yeah. just looks around confused for a while, slowly walks over to the other dude, slowly drags him out, goes, come on, come on. It's like, no, I can't. It's too far. It's, it's like that Austin Powers scene where he's running over someone <laughs> no. with a very slow car. <laughs> beep, beep, no. <laughs> beep, 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 no. Wesley barely gets out the door before the lab seals. Um, if he hadn't just stood around and done everything so slow, he would have had plenty of time to drag this guy out and go back and get the other dude. Yes. <laughs> this is not him responding quickly in a crisis situation. Uh well, and again, you know, you know, he is 15, so uh, maybe the, uh, you know, you know, if there's anyone about to pop up and say it's just a test, uh, you know, they'll take that into consideration that you know he's really weak or something mm -hmm. like physically. But the lab closes, trapping the guy inside, probably to die. Hmm. Well, sucks to be him. He sees Chang and quickly tries to explain, but he's like, "No, nah, it's fine. Don't worry about it." The door's open. The other guy walks out. The man he was helping just gets up and goes, "Hey, good job. Thanks." Yes. Oh, it was a test the whole time, and uh, actually planned this time. <laughs> this one was a test. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> so his biggest fear is that when it came down to a command decision, he wouldn't be able to make the impossible choice of to save one man instead of another. Okay, then. This um, uh, wasn't really that. He went yeah. and helped the obvious <laughs> dude and yelled at another dude to get out, and the other dude didn't. This wasn't yes. really a, you need to decide whether you're willing to try to sacrifice someone in the line of duty. Indeed. Uh, so, uh... So Wesley, uh, did you learn anything from this? Probably not, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I will say they, that later in the series, there is a maybe a better example of this exact sort of thing. But, you know, that's like a long time in the future now. Yeah, as a command test that actually makes some amount of sense. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, I, it is kind of weird that this seems to be a very Starfleet, you know, quote, fear and maybe they didn't actually figure out what Wesley's actual f greatest fear was. So they're just like, uh, we'll do something kind of in our standard box here, I guess. Yeah, let's just pull out one of the defaults. We psychologically evaluated you and know your greatest fear. Haha, -ha, it's puppies. Oh, um, not really. Don't question but, us. We okay. psychologically evaluated you. You can't question right. a psychological evaluation. <laughs> Bring on the puppies, I guess. <laughs> so after all the tests are done, Chang reveals that Murdoch is one. And he's going to be the first Benzite in Starfleet. So congrats. Everyone's disappointed, but they're like, hey, it's fine. This is how it works. All right. Um, I guess uh, we all have to go to the next planet that has an opening soon. Uh, Picard's on his way to say goodbye to the Admiral when he runs into Jake, who's very embarrassed. But thanks the captain for saving his life. And Picard says, this is my job. And it seems to make up his mind because, you know, if he hadn't been here, this kid probably would have died. Yeah, you know, Picard, you kind of saved the day for this kid here. So, uh, you know, for uh, future uh, children that you're going to have to save, you have to stay on the ship. Wait, don't you hate children? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this kid is, like, just old enough. Like, this kid definitely <laughs> looks like he's in his mid-20s, so... Maybe yes. <laughs> he's just old enough to not trigger his weird child fear. <laughs> you have recently become an adult. I can now tolerate your presence. Congrats. I will save you. <laughs> Picard wanders into the observation lounge for some reason and finds Wesley in there. Uh, Wesley's supposed to be dressed for dinner, but he doesn't want to go because he thinks that he has failed everyone and so shouldn't see the Admiral. That's stupid. Um, as Picard points out, he did his best and he will improve and pass the next time. And don't tell anyone, but even Picard failed the test the first time because apparently it's just freaking random. Yes. <laughs> 
It's like, oh, yeah, in the, you know, 100,000 slots on Earth, uh, he was, uh, you know, number 158,000 slot uh, in rankings or something because they all passed. But, you know, they had to randomly generate a list. (laughs) So Picard disappoints Quinn by telling him that he's going to stay, but he does think he can probably be of better use to him here on the ship. Quinn thinks that he may be seeing conspiracies everywhere because he's just been in politics too long. So maybe this whole thing was pointless. Yeah, you know, but, you know, conspiracies and politics, they tend to go hand in hand in some environments. So mm. uh, I guess, you know, we just have to put up with this being part of the Federation from here on now. And then back on the bridge, Wesley's at the helm. And they're all happy to have him still there and they move on to their next mission. Hooray, let's fly away into steep space and never worry about these events ever again. Yeah. So what did you think? This is such a weird, weird episode. I thought it was generally okay. Uh you know, it wasn't doing anything too crazy, I suppose. You know, it's also sort of a, you know, a character-centric episode that kind of meanders a little bit along the, the pathway there. It's doing some slightly interesting things. It's it's not setting up either of its stories very well. Not really, the, no. The Wesley test arc is Wesley doing school like a teenager, so that's something. And mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a fun... See, that's the... It's continuing this weird sort of fantasy that this show has... Which, beyond it being an exploration of, of sci-fi ideas or asking moral questions, one of the main appeals of this show, specifically Next Generation, is the myth of the ideal work environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a nice, comfortable place where everyone gets along, is doing a meaningful job they enjoy, and gets to spend time with a bunch of other people who are doing that and get along in a very nice, professional manner. Yeah, everything's great. Uh, no one gets on each other's nerves. And, you know, there's no dissent among the ranks because everyone's just feeling happy. You know, you could even say everything is awesome. And this this testing thing is basically an extension of that into the way that we think about school because (laughs) uh, the the testing and stuff is it's it's all standard testing they're doing the testing but it's all more interesting stuff to us you know it's space travel and sci-fi gibberish but Mm -hmm. it's also the teacher is just looking at you as a complete and total being it's like the score that you get on the test is just as important as the way that you took time out to help a fellow student or whatever like it's instead of why are you talking during a test i'm sending you to detention now you inconvenience me <laughs> it's like yeah i don't remember in the uh when i took the uh, you know any standardized tests in uh, late high school uh you know being allowed to sort of discuss the answers with my peers uh because that's not really how we do those sorts of tests uh it's like yeah this is going to be something that helps determine your you know your future going forward where are you going to get you know placed in terms of colleges and all that sort of thing and uh, you know, and you know, university options going forward, and then you'll get to do this again if you go to grad school. Uh, and uh, you know, you know, all of that is a very sort of way it's done in our current day. But here, this is a you know, what if that? But you could actually like learn to get along with your peers along the way. And then, who wouldn't, on some level, like to have? an institution that knows you well enough to just give you to give you a practical exam on how well you faced your greatest fear yeah (laughs) that would be kind of you know both intimidating because well if they get it right then well i get to face my greatest fear um but on on the flip side you know that is super kind of customized sort of uh, uh uh work there they put time and effort in and are able to 
you know, pull it off just sort of, you know, automatically, despite maybe how complex or unusual your greatest fear is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's like they, they put a lot of effort in here and you know, that's not really something we ever see in the, you know, the modern day here. Yeah. Regardless like, of like, regardless of how much you personally want to face your greatest fear, one, everyone kind of wants to know, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. if you could take whatever exam and someone knew your greatest fear and then they could see whether you can stand up to it. Everyone kind of does want to know how they would react to that on some level. But yeah, but yeah you're right. Uh, this is this is like the opposite of a standardized test. Yeah, <laughs> it's an unstandardized test, though there are, you know, you know, of course, the various elements of it that are common throughout uh, everyone's experience. They're still being set up so that they can, you know, experience unique experience that tests them for who they are, uh, you know, independent of sort of the quote uh, uh, standards that they're going to be uh, sort of required to meet. And then the the other side of it is, of course, that everyone on this ship is so perfect that you can't find a bad thing to say about anyone. <laughs> the Captain Picard is the perfect captain. Nothing nothing could possibly go wrong. No one could say a negative word about him in any regard. And uh, and he that's just how you know he's trustworthy in a possible conspiracy situation. Yeah, everyone that he works with constantly loves him forever. Wait a second, what if that's the conspiracy? <laughs> Star Starfleet captains have been using mind control over their subordinates in order to have perfectly working ships. Yeah. <laughs> and this is such a bad like everyone knows where this is going by now because it's fairly famous setup for mm-hmm. other episodes. I'm not going to get into that yet. We'll get there. But yes. it, it is just such bad. It's such bad foreshadowing, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I would kind of love if there had been like a, a fake out episode between this and future episode that uh, we'll be uh, doing pretty soon here. Uh, like, oh, there was some sort of conspiracy. Oh, but it was only just this one ship. All right. So that stuff Admiral Quinn was warning about, maybe it's, you know, been now dealt with. Hooray. And then, you know, other stuff happens. But overall, I mean, that's that's most of it. There's no there's no overarching theme particularly there's a where do you belong sort of sort of arc going with picard and wesley mm-hmm. there's a as long as you try your best it's fine don't be too disappointed which is also interesting given how much they've set up what should be an ultra competitive environment indeed <laughs> it's like yes uh, you're all uh, top of the line best of the best sort of uh, you know super brain folks here and uh, you're going up against each other, and uh, good luck, because only one of you gets to pass. No matter how good you go, you might you know, be down to the uh, the you know pick of the draw there. You know, random numbers. You never know. And if you ever slip up once, well, too bad. So what if your uh, you know, biggest fear is uh, competitiveness? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we were going to have a special section for, for you, but, you know, you've already kind of faced your greatest fear being here in the first place. So um, here, have some cake. <laughs> is this part of the test? No, we just had cake left over from someone's birthday party. <laughs> but uh, if... But but maybe for everyone living Picard on the Enterprise, though, maybe there was something going on just off screen that none of us observed, you know, that maybe it was a special holiday, you know, Captain Picard Day. Wasn't that a while back? Didn't they already have that one? Or was that coming nope. up? I can't remember now. <laughs> That's actually a ways off of the future. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I just I've been seeing it in so many memes. I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, 
I think it's like season six or seven, somewhere around there, maybe. I can't really tell, given this episode, like how competitive this is supposed to be because they're pitting them all against each other but then they they praise wesley's cooperation um but then they're very unclear of how that actually factors into things score wise indeed (laughs) so maybe there's you know you know this apparent uh veneer of uh you know customization for the individual test takers and things like that but what if all of that is actually just that, only a surface level sort of thing? That there is actually, you know, 100% standardized tests going on here, but they are trying to set it up so the, you know, those who take it don't perceive it as such. I mean, that could be up. more interesting at least. Yeah. <laughs> Still beats sitting down in a room with a bubble sheet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it would be some way to sort of, I guess, uh, short circuit people trying to get special, you know, you know tutors and uh, answer sheets beforehand. Uh, you know, so you can get this sort of, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to be different for everyone. So, you know, there's no point in trying to study other than just being a generalist in terms of your studies there. So, you know, don't worry about it, which I guess would, uh, discourage cheating, but also discourage the, uh, the market for tutors. Hmm. This just got me thinking about it. Cause you know, there's so little else in the episode overall. Because it's spending so much time setting up other stuff that yeah. doesn't pay off for a while and only sort of does anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, it got me thinking about this thing because uh, a while back I I sort of remember the thing. I've looked up a couple of small things before. But um, there's a there's a, a author and lecturer um, education theorist called uh, Alfie Cohn who writes a bunch of education books. And one mm-hmm. of the ones that kind of got uh, a little bit of a a little bit of controversy was released kind of uh, near the same time as this episode, actually, a few years before, is um, called No Contest, The Case Against Competition. And a lot of his thing in it is basically um, we accept competition as an idea. Like, you know, competition is supposed to be great. It's supposed to drive everyone to their best. Uh, It's the only way to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. We have a very large uh, strain of that through American culture overall. Um, But the idea that someone has to lose and someone has to win and it's like just the natural order of things um it's pretty bad for people and it's been proved to be pretty bad for people we have multiple studies that are cited in here that are um it it whittles down self-esteem in children it makes people um psychologically dependent on external um on external praise for motivation like they have to win and be told that they won by an external motivator it kind of eliminates intrinsic motivation which is you know your own personal drive to do something as opposed to uh extrinsic motivation which is someone is giving you a reward for doing something indeed and as someone uh with a a history of doing well on uh, standardized tests and uh anxiety once i've left that part of my life behind uh Maybe there's a point to that, yeah. There's also a, a lot of um, research that shows that uh, competition in the workplace, as much as we go like, oh, it drives everyone to their best, it massively undermines productivity. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we're we're trying to drive ourselves to the our, our, our most productive, and it's just going to wear us out and all at the same time because we're all competing against each other. Yeah, you... you Whoops. You tell people that they have to be hostile to one another because anyone else succeeding is a detriment to yourself. We we have we, it sets up this idea that success is is um, exclusion. Success is exclusive. One person succeeding means other people failed, which is a strange notion. 
uh, if you actually think about it, because there's no particular reason for that, if you, unless you set it up specifically to be that way. If you say, mm -hmm. this is a contest, only one person can win, then yes, one person winning means no one else does. But in most real-world contexts, let's say, if everyone was working together to complete a project and it's finished and everyone gets to reap the benefits of its completion, in what way did did any one of those people succeeding prevent anyone else from succeeding? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a lot like, uh, you know, if we actually cooperate, we can accomplish things more efficiently, faster, and be less stressed at the end. And in this particular setup, we can actually all benefit. Hooray! That sounds like a, a wonderful plan. Yeah, so it's self-destructive, especially in, mm -hmm. a co in a collaborative environment, which is, you know, mm -hmm. all of human society. Yes, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> because you need to cooperate with people on any level to be able to succeed in doing things. Just blanket in, the, in our society as social animals. You have to cooperate and work with other people. But mm -hmm. if we have set up this idea that only one person can succeed, you actually have a incentive to undermine other people's success instead of helping ev helping each other achieve success, which is antithetical to cooperation. Indeed. Yeah, it's like, oh, now there's a weak link. It's because this other person put it there. Yeah. Mm. And then somebody else adds one because they're also realizing they're competing against somebody else. And then somebody else add, you know, adds their own complication in and so on and so forth until everyone involved is making things worse for everyone else. There's also a side point that's sort of, that's expanded on another one of his books about rewards and punishments, that even the idea of winning is in itself sort of a punishment avoidance strategy. It's like there's no such thing as a reward of winning. There is just the absence of the punishment of losing. Yep. <laughs> and even if you're given an actual tangible reward, like a prize or whatever, the the thing that you have by losing the thing is not getting that. You're punished for not winning because you did not get the reward. So you can't really even just say, well, we're only rewarding excellence because you're also punishing those who did not achieve what you wanted them to. And, uh, you know, some folks is like, well, that's why we have uh, particip uh, participation trophies and things like that. But that's also kind of a punishment in a way, because now it's like, yeah, you didn't go, go, do good enough to get the real thing. So we're going to sort of extra emphasize this in our actions. Well, a participation trophy, one, there's very little evidence that this was actually ever a widespread implemented thing. <laughs> it was mostly a weird rumor. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I did get uh, uh, one for, uh, I think it was a T-ball, uh, but, you know, that was ages ago. <laughs> but it's also, it's not a rework of the, of the system of competition. It's nope. <laughs> a weird side thing. We're saying, we're, it's a weird misunderstanding of the entire event, really. You're saying mm -hmm. that the, the thing that everyone wants out of competition is the trophy. So if we just give everyone the trophy, but keep the competition, <laughs> we've fixed it. Indeed. Which is a little silly. It's very silly. Though, again, most of that was a myth. It happened a few times and everyone freaked out about it like it was widely implemented as a as a freaking like like mandate amongst schools or something <laughs> no, it's a, it's like happens once and then you know someone mentions it, you know it's to somebody else at a different location who didn't have it and they're like wait is this a thing that's happening here i'm going to assume it is 
So again, it's a little unclear how much they're actually competing against each other in this or are encouraged to be, but there is still some level of competition in the fact that you have four students and only one of them can succeed no matter how well any of them do. There's not a grade cutoff or anything. There's not a score that you are all trying to achieve. One mm -hmm. person will get to go and no one else will. Yes, it's effectively graded on a curve. Yeah, it's completely graded on a curve. It's graded on a weird curve. It's also an obfuscated curve. Yes. <laughs> Though apparently no one cares, because, like, you know if this was in a modern thing, the one girl is exactly the kind of person who would be like, no, I want to see the scores. Show me the breakdown. I think you got something wrong. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, as a, so... I've gone to graduate school. I've been a teaching assistant. I've run into students like that a few times. And, uh, you know, generally I could be like, all right, yeah, I can show you sort of the, the general breakdown of why your particular score is this out of the total here, and then show you the statistics for the uh, overall class. I can't show you in, uh, other students' individual uh, work here, but yeah, this all makes sense given all the pieces of data available that I can share. So, uh, sorry. It's kind of just how our system got set up here, and I'm as much of a cog of the system as you are here. Sorry. <laughs> hmm. So I guess overall we can we can show through this that they have developed some sort of enlightened idea about failure because none of them question the results or get really mad about it, and they're all like genuinely happy for the guy who got to go through. But mm -hmm. also we haven't gotten rid of this intense testing thing that we have now because the one kid was so worried that failing the entrance exam had ruined his entire life that he stole a shuttle and was going to run away from home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a, a bit of a reaction there, yeah. Hmm. Oh, I do kind of wonder about some things here. What if... So, so Jake, we don't really know anything about his family. He's just apparently, you know, a... a you know, late teen, early twenties, uh, person who is, uh, happens to be on the ship, uh, probably with family that works in Starfleet. Okay. But, uh, his family does not appear to be the chief medical officer of the ship. See where I'm going with this, Kepwin? <laughs> yeah. Are you talking nepotism? Yep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, surprise, surprise in our, uh, current, uh, system in the United States, at the very least, uh, there is a, uh, uh, various forms of unfair, uh, you know, uh, sort of aspects to admissions into, you know, higher education, you know, uh, work uh, uh, places, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and nepotism is one of them. Uh, there, there is, uh, of course, the wealthy donor sort of aspect of uh, uh, private colleges and sometimes public ones where it's like, oh, we're going to buy you a building. And, you know, my uh, young you know, kid here is going to be going to college in a couple of years, so uh, remember that admissions board. Uh, and there's, of course, you know, it's like, okay, so we're all good to get into uh, the, uh, the school we want here, or at least we want for our kid. But, you know, we need to make sure that they're actually going to, say, not totally bomb SAT. So uh, we're going to get a whole bunch of tutors here, say the chief engineer of a starship or something like that, and uh, all the uh, command staff to... Uh, help out and uh, make sure that uh little one here is going to have the best education going forward and uh you know that seems uh totally fair don't you think Gepwin? yeah i mean it's the only way that it can work right <laughs> if you if you can afford all the best things then you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps etc 
Exactly. And, uh, you know, you know, it's, you know, the person that doesn't have that, well, they should have just gotten themselves a nice high ranking position on the, the, the flagship of the, of the fleet and everything would have been great. Right. Yeah. People are just afraid to work hard. <laughs> so of course, you know, uh, this sort of uh, sarcastic uh, statement here is, uh, brought to you by the, uh, unfortunate realities that we live in. <laughs> um, you know, you know, there's been, there, there's effectively like a massive market, uh, yeah, out there for wealthy folks who really want to make sure that their kids have the right uh, accreditation slash, I guess, uh, background before they enter the workforce uh, so that they can make sure that they too will be able to get high paying jobs uh, wherever they like. Uh, and so, you know, there's been massive bribery scandals, uh, you know, uh, che- you know, test cheating rackets, all sorts of things uh, that have come up, you know, you know, even just in the last couple decades here that basically shows that, yeah, this is going on and we might only be seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, what's all is going on there. So, you know, that kind of sucks. And I guess it's sort of a, maybe an important thing to remember that when you have intense competition like this, that there is going to be some percentage of people that are straight up cheating. So please don't let yourself be fully defined by how well you're doing on a, on a standardized test. I think the thing too, Jake's story arc in this demonstrates a way that any sci-fi television is going to at some level fail because it needs to be okayed by higher ups and sold. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't examining this in any particular way in this episode. Um, we've set up a society without scarcity um, that should have gotten rid of a lot of this stuff. Indeed. But because this story trope is something that makes sense to us as modern viewers, that the kid would be upset that he didn't get into college, it, it makes sense to put it in as a story trope. But completely unexamined, it sets up a lot of things. Like, why is this still a thing? Why can failing one test ruin your entire life why is that still something that we're okay with like we as a society now need to start being able to question those things and we're not Mm -hmm. examining that in a proper way here in order to be able to ask questions like why does failing a test when you're a dumb 17 year old who doesn't know why they should be studying for the thing mean that you have ruined your entire life why are we okay with that well uh there is maybe part of it in that uh, we kind of don't respect teenagers. I know that, you know, that's maybe a, a, a bit of a, a, a trope or cliche in of itself uh, that, oh, teenagers don't respect us back. So it's fair, right? No, no, we should actually like try to treat people that are coming into their own as adults like human beings. And that would be a nice thing to do sometimes. Well, I think it goes a little deeper than respect or not too, because it's all plays into our meritocracy mythos, mm-hmm. you know, if this person had wanted to have a better life, they should have worked harder. And that means that they don't deserve the better life because they didn't work harder. But that's something that we don't question very much, but we really should be like, why, like regardless of why someone can't work harder, whether they are physically unable to, whether socioeconomically it's more difficult for them, Mm -hmm. whether they just don't freaking want to, yeah. Why does the fact that they didn't mean that they should have such a lower quality of life? Yeah, it's like, if, all right, so you, you haven't explained like why all this comes together and is essential for their lives, especially, you know, if they're in a, you know, a, 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 an arc of their uh, previous experiences that lots of people threaten them with things like this is going to be on your permanent record kind of nonsense. And none of that is ever 
actually mattered for anything. So why should this? And just even in all the stuff that you were talking about, the cheating, like not only does it mean not everyone's playing on an even field for our Mm -hmm. supposed competition, but all of that would be completely unnecessary if we didn't have this overarching idea that, yes, not going to the right college does mean that we are okay with you potentially starving to death later on. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of messed up. Hmm. <laughs> it's like on some level, we need to be able to question this assumption that because someone didn't do all of the right things and isn't doing all of the right stuff now, it's okay for them to starve. We, we, on some level, are agreeing with that as a society in the way that we've set up things. So uh, maybe we should have some sort of, I don't know, like basic income or something like that to make sure that people are going to be okay, independent of what their uh, choices are or how, mus- how messed up we make our kids. Yeah, but then when we bring up something like that, everyone goes like, oh, but what if it goes to the undeserving? Then, okay. The <laughs> we don't know who those people are, so, uh, you know, that's probably going to happen. And we can be okay with that because maybe it's better to have someone who is, quote, undeserving, you know, get something for free than it is people who are just trying to live their best lives, you know, starving to death. I think the thing here is, which I don't feel is talked about well enough with any of these things. We we even had this recently with the um, supposed debate about whether or not there should be student loan forgiveness. One of the things that keeps being brought up is, well, sometimes the money is given to someone who doesn't strictly need it, like someone who is well enough off that they could afford to pay off their own student loans or whatever. But you do want you wind up in a bit of a problem here because once you put a line in, you're arguing about where the line is and you can always move a line (laughs) once it's there. The only way to not be able to move around the line and eventually just exclude everyone is to not have a line to begin with. Yes. And that's the whole theory we're working on. That's the whole <laughs> democratic idea. Every, if we say you get a universal income, everyone gets it because everyone mm-hmm. paid in and everyone gets to take out. That's the whole idea. Yeah. So it's, you know, instead of there being, you know, a, a, a group that, quote, doesn't deserve it. What if everybody does? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I really don't care if the multi-billionaire's kid gets an extra couple thousand dollars a year if it means that everyone else does. They're still going to be, you know, in the end of the day, even with our messed up tax system, they're probably going to be paying a little bit more taxes than what they're getting out of this program. So who cares? Maybe. We do have a very messed up tax system. (laughs) All right, let's fix that too. Uh, But yeah, it's it's a pittance though, in terms of uh, how money is uh, being sort of distributed here. Way more money is going to people that are not billionaires. And that's a good thing. Instead of right now, where all of the money is going to people who are billionaires anyway. Yes. So, you know, let's fix that. (laughs) Billionaires are going to be billionaire. So why don't we just have something that helps everyone else? I know. It's always interesting on that argument. People go like, oh, but a rich person might get the tax money. It's like they're they're doing that now. You don't have a problem with how much money is going to them now. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, just this is just a, you know, thing that is going to give everyone else the effective opportunity there that yeah. they have now exclusively. We always we already give Amazon like $4 million back in taxes every year. What's an extra couple thousand? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, our, our system's weird and very obfuscated intentionally. So people don't think about that sort of thing. 
But I think this is yeah. one of the places where people want to get into these little pedantic arguments about stuff and don't like it when you criticize certain things in these old, in these shows. Even modern shows fall into these traps, though. Like, you can't present a post-scarcity society and not examine how that affects the people living in it because you still have mm -hmm. recognizably modern people with recognizably modern problems that should have disappeared in this scenario you've set up. And you're not telling us why it didn't. Indeed. And you're not using that to examine the ways in which those problems are occurring now. You're just presenting them unquestioned. Like we've solved all our problems here. They uh, here's the, uh, the good results and don't think about the A to B sort of situation that uh, we have to sort out. You don't have to present a total utopia, but you should be presenting these questions in such a way that it makes us Mm -hmm. wonder why things are the way they are now exactly that's part of the thing that science fiction is particularly good at doing and uh you know star trek is good at doing it at times but could be doing it a bit better all the same well, that was my uh that was my unhinged liberal rant for the minute <laughs> all good <laughs> Yeah, the the main thing I wanted to bring it up uh, was uh, like the you know the cheating and all that sort of you know sort of weird incentive spits there because uh, yeah I've I've uh, gone to a uh, pretty uh, snazzy school in terms of grad school um, but you know I didn't have anyone to sort of like be uh, have gone there uh, a generation or two back to help me in uh, I went to grad school and put in an application and the application was weirdly cheap so I'm like all right I'll pay fifteen dollars to apply here. Oh, hey, I got in. Neat. But also, I'm pretty good at standardized tests. Yeah, there's that too. Some people just don't. <laughs> I'm very bad at standardized tests. I went to all of those SAT classes and whatever, whatever, and I didn't fail, but I didn't do as well as everyone wanted. Uh, I didn't go to any of those uh, sort of prep classes and uh, did okay, I suppose. Um, I guess I worried more about the GRE in the end, but, uh, you know... The evil testing snake, aka ETS, that runs those sorts of things. I hope they're destroyed at some point. Just you know, because standardized tests suck. <laughs> Seems much more likely at this point that everyone's just going to be taking standardized testing from kindergarten until college, and then plopped into the job market, and everyone's going to be like, "Why didn't we teach anyone anything?" <laughs> yeah, we're definitely on that uh, particular arc right now. It's uh, rather annoying. Nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> it's almost like we've been testing them for no discernible reason other than to make ourselves feel better about how we distribute educational funding. Mm -hmm. Whoops. Like what if instead of, you know, you know, giving all the money to the high uh, performing schools, we give money to the schools that, you know, need the help. Well, that doesn't make, then you're just rewarding people for failure. <laughs> or we're helping them not fail. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, education system's a little, little, little wacky, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, I you know, can't really speak about uh, other countries, uh, but I have heard good and bad things about them as well. So, uh, you know, take all uh, if you're uh, from you know, beyond our borders here, take all of this with you know various uh, different frames and salt quantities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and uh, I suppose all the same, you know, you know, down with exclusivity. Well, do watch yes. out because we are trying to export this stuff. Yes. <laughs> Don't let us, please. Uh, there, there was a, uh, a, a bit of a controversy, uh, which is probably still going on uh, when I was in grad school amongst the undergrads, where there was a, uh, a certain, I guess, uh, fraction of the, you know, uh, more conservative uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, undergrads who were 
trying to lobby the school to basically get get rid of uh, student financial aid so only those deserving could uh, be attending. Hmm. And uh, school's like, no, that's actually really terrible to do. And, uh, you know, you guys aren't actually that good other than giving us money. So... <laughs> The people that we're giving financial aid to, they're the actual smart ones around here. Come on, guys. <laughs> At least that's the general vibe I was getting. Anyway. Okay, I feel like we... Maybe it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's favorite game show. You're all looking quite beautiful today, and our various contestants, they are looking quite beautiful today, and uh, not full of uh, weird uh, uh, bluegill parasites at all, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, wrapping up today's, uh, you know, you know uh, adventure here with a little uh, handing out of prizes, because we've got some uh, folks who have gotten quite the scores here today. The first prize to hand out is the Fooled You Prize, which goes to Lieutenant Cheng and the Invisible Testing Committee for creating the illusion of a disaster to test Wesley's ability to abandon people who can save themselves, and even though, you know, this, this is apparently his greatest fear. Hmm. It seems not too fearful. Anyway, what does he win, Gepwin? Lieutenant Chang wins a test. Well, how you walked down the hallway to get here was a test. This question was a test. The way that you asked it was a test. The fact that you're listening to this answer is a test. Dun dun dun. This is only a test of the emergency Lieutenant Chang broadcasting system. This is only a test. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, the second prize is the No Hard Feelings Prize, which goes to Remick, because he was totally just doing his job with all those interrogations and being kind of an ass the entire time. What does he win, Gepwin? Remick does get that job that he wanted on the Enterprise, because that's kind of a dick move. Like, mm -hmm. He literally <laughs> was just doing his job. He was under orders to assholely interrogate people and try to root out if there was any chance that the Enterprise was corrupt in any way. And everyone's like, eh, no, he's, he, was, he was mean. <laughs> yes, everyone's took his interrogations a little too personally. It's like, this one's a bit weird, because he's in the military. He was literally under orders. He, this is like mm -hmm. the, the, the ultimate of, yes, he was just doing his job, and it ticked you <laughs> off. Indeed. <laughs> so, Remick, uh, you know... Yeah, well, keep up the interrogations, I guess. <laughs> the uh, final prize today to hand out is the CIA In My Teeth prize, which goes to Admiral Quinn for his curious paranoia. Hopefully it turns out to just be nothing. What does he win, Gepwin? He gets a tuning device, because if your teeth are picking up subspace radio, at least you should be able to listen to some music. Hmm. Yes, uh, the uh, easily listening channel from the CIA broadcasting corps, uh, you know, uh, core there. <laughs> Just a little, little adjustment here and a little adjustment here. And, oh no, uh, uh, we're picking up the NSA instead. Huh, they're going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we got here this week, Gepwin. Uh, I didn't really feel like handing out anything to the other students that are taking out, uh, you know, while they're testing here. They've had enough, uh, so I just decided to give them a break on... Uh, as far as point collecting today. So, uh, take us away. Yes, thanks, everyone, for being here and listening to us do this weird side thingy that lets us transition into the end of the episode that we call the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show!
So, uh, do you, uh, do you like Klingons? I do like Klingons. And we get to see some more of the new Klingons. Hmm, yes, uh, with the, the, the crazy hair and the armor and all that sort of stuff here. Yeah. Um, so far, we haven't actually seen a lot of Klingon stuff. It, like, you know, it, it got redefined for the movies. We did the new makeup for TNG in the movies. And we've got the new, you know, samurai-inspired armor and stuff. But uh, Next Generation, at some points, really does become the Klingon show. And yep. <laughs> this is going to be the first time we get that. Yeah, the, you know, of course, the thread does continue uh, a bit through DS9 in various, uh, you know, ways, especially in that one season. But uh, yeah, was, TNG, Jeff, definitely the Klingon show, where we actually, like, have plots and developments and, like... Not everything's episodic constantly. It's a little strange. So this is going to be Heart of Glory next time, which is when three Klingons show up and Worf has to go talk to other Klingons about being Klingon. It's one of the first times we've seen Worf interact with other Klingons. Mm-hmm. And uh, we begin to get some insight into just how much of a nerd Worf kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's... Uh, you know, heard about his uh, culture and learned about it and done all sorts of crazy stuff, sort of, you know, get steeped in it. But he hasn't had much personal, uh, you know, sort of exposure to it, uh, oddly enough, despite being in Starfleet uh, for a while now. Uh, and so uh, this sort of starts upping that percentage by uh, having him meet some uh, hardcore Klingons being Klingons. I do think it's going to be really interesting to get to talk about Worf and his character arcs through the show because... People don't give him enough credit as being written for the character that he is as mm-hmm. this, like, the, you know, raised out of your own culture sort of character. They, he's, he's just sort of taken for granted. And then his, when, when he interacts with other Klingons, you get this very interesting sense of what it meant to grow up outside of your culture and have to sort of construct it after the fact. Indeed. Now, uh, how much of, of what you've heard is uh, actually put into practice and, uh, you know, how much of the practice is not necessarily something that you've heard of before. Yeah, but we're going to get into more of that. All, this sets up some of the Klingon cultural stuff that we later ignore. <laughs> has this weird um, cultural tension of the new Klingons that is uh, mostly ignored and uh, introduces some new Klingons who we will probably not see again. <laughs> yeah generally <laughs> but uh you know that's fine you know we can't keep running into the same people over and over again uh forever because space is really big so mm-hmm. sometimes uh you know one-off klingons are fine i mean we are going to run into the same person over and over and over just maybe not the klingons yes <laughs> damn it q <laughs> so yeah next time we get some klingons so that'll be fun hooray klingons Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, glory and honor. Dun, 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 dun. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. 
If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>